From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck. Religion for Life explores the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My guest is Andrew Taylor Troutman. Andrew is husband of Ginny and father of Sam, who we probably will talk about quite a bit today. Uh, both Andrew and Ginny are Presbyterian ministers. Ginny is campus minister at Virginia Tech, and Andrew is the minister of the New Dublin Presbyterian Church in New Dublin, Virginia. You can find information about Andrew as well as his blog at the website, takemyhandmemoir.com, or you can just Google Andrew Taylor Troutman and you'll get right to us, the first hit. Uh, almost two years ago, Andrew and I spoke on Religion for Life about his book, Take My Hand, a theological memoir that is a collection of sermons of his first year in the ministry. And you can find that interview on the podcast page of religionforlife.com. And he is the author of a new book published in 2014 called Parables of Parenthood, Interpreting the Gospels with Family. Welcome back, Andrew, to Religion for Life. John, thank you so much. It's a great privilege to be here and, a, and an honor as well. Yeah, well, we, we've had some big changes uh, in your life since we last spoke. This is true. <laughs> tell, us about, tell us about Sam. My son Sam was born October 25th, 2012. Um, he has, well, a big change would be the right way to put it. <laughs> uh, it's been mostly uh, a delight um, certainly a learning. Um, my wife and I, I, I think what I would love to say is that it's made us closer. Has it? Okay, sure. Which sure. is a wonderful, wonderful experience. You have uh, a, a person to care, uh, care about together that's really has to make a team of you. It has made it. A team is a good work. Partner, partnership would probably be another good way to frame it. Um, but he's, he's very much a part of it as well. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, one of the images that caught my eye in your book, um, is, uh, was in regards to your monthly church potluck and you, and you, you said you pull out the high chair, uh, and Sam holds court for the congregation. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how, how has your congregation responded to Sam? They've been terrific. I mean, um, you know, as a community of faith to be able to point to, uh, embodied, image of the new life that we all hope for has been terrific. Uh, it's an older congregation, so uh, particularly for them to have a little one around, um, I think is a real sense of, uh, of pride for them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it has, um, I perhaps say, brought a new dynamic to, to how they view uh, my leadership as well. Uh, they no longer see me um, as just a young man, but now as a father. Right. And I think that's, that's really deepened um, their, their uh, respect and also their support for me. You know, in a sense, um, if they're an older congregation, you know, you are, as a minister, you are a lot of things to people, a lot of projections. You might be a son or even a grandson. Absolutely. And then yeah. Sam would be... A, a grandson or a great grandson. Absolutely. Do you, think, he, do you find that? He is in, in some ways the, uh, a child of the church. Uh-huh. Um, and I think there are a lot of really great advantages to that. I, I grew up as a pastor's son. Yeah. And um, I think when, when you're in that role, um, there is a certain uh, focus, possibly even a spotlight upon it. And, and what you hope and what I experienced is that that congregation becomes uh, a safe place for you. Mm-hmm. 
um, one where you feel you can be yourself, where you're listened to, where you uh, certainly where everyone knows your name. <laughs> right. Um, but hopefully, where they they allow you to to kind of grow in into yourself too. Um, I think one of the things that we want to be careful about is is setting boundaries. Um, and so you talk about expectations. Sometimes those expectations like a church can have for a pastor are conflicting and mm-hmm. competing. Um, and so we, we, want, we want Sam to grow up um, knowing that he is uh, his own person. Um, he doesn't have to be um, everything to everyone in the congregation. Right. He doesn't have to be the pastor. Absolutely right. Yeah. He did yeah. not, he was not hired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know it can be, it can be a hassle to be a preacher's kid and you, and you would know all of that more than, more than me, uh, uh, ex- as experiencing it as the kid, but you're also, also the pastor of a preacher's kid. Uh, but, but there are, there are some benefits. All right. I, I remember when, um, my two, uh, Katie and Zach, when we started my first church, they were five and seven. And I remember the first day, uh, Zach said, well, I get a, we get to be boss of the kids. <laughs> so <laughs> we had a, little, a lot of learning curves those way, that way, too. Yeah, a little bit of that spotlight that yeah. shines on the pastor's kids. But he loved. He, and, and they both, you know, would stand out with me as I shook hands with people. So there, there really was. I mean, I would say that uh, growing up in the church for them, I think, was a, a wonderful experience. Um, and I know stories of where it isn't so wonderful, mm. but mm. I think in, 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 in for both of those, uh, the church was really an extended family. Mm. Well, that's, that's beautiful to hear. That, that's certainly been our, our story so far. Um, when I talk about the potlucks, um, Sam is, he is both uh, kind of curious, but also somewhat cautious. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that he likes to do is when he's done eating, he gets up from his high chair and he kind of makes his rounds to each table. Uh, and uh, the, the congregation... So he's walking now. I he's guess. walking. Right. And so the congregation is, is very good about kind of acknowledging him. Uh-huh. You know, they say, hello, hello, Sam, how are you? Um, but if he just wants to maintain a little distance, they're okay with that. And it's not like they have to immediately swoop in and, and grab him and put him in their lap. And, you know, if we could maintain that kind of dynamic as he grows up, I think it would be a rich and wonderful experience for him. So how, uh, growing up as a son of a pastor, how has that kind of shed a light on you as being um, a pastor and a father? Uh, well, I, I think most of the things I do, it's default what, what my father would have done <laughs> in, that, in that same circumstance. Um, I do think it's, it's been helpful to kind of raise that to a level of awareness rather than, than have that just being my kind of natural rhythm uh, mm-hmm. that I go to. Um, I'd say I tell a story in the book about one of my memories of being a pastor's son was my mother uh, actually becoming very upset with my father, actually cursing at him mm. because he was devoting too much time to the church. And that made a huge impression on me as I believe I was eight years old. But then 25 years later, I had almost the exact same conversation with my wife, now her yelling at me because I was putting too much of my time into the church. Right. And so it's fascinating to me how... Um, you know, you think about family systems theories, and these things just replicate. They repeat over and over again, both the good, um, but also the negative. 
so I guess um, one of the things that was helpful in, in writing this book to me was to kind of bring that to a, a surface level awareness, um, kind of an immediate consciousness of, of, of how are the roles of pastor and father um, different. They certainly inform each other. Mm-hmm. But, but again, to, to use the language of boundaries, what, what is a healthy sense to keep, to keep them separate? And I suppose this is really put, in a sense, that, that question and that stress right there. I'd, I'd say stress because I, I know it is too, um, of, how, of how to balance that time and how to balance your energy and how to balance your privacy and your autonomy. Hmm. And, and I, I find that throughout your book. <laughs> yeah. as you're as you're as you're just struggling these and not struggling in, in a negative way but struggling in a positive way of, of balancing these roles yeah well i mean we started this conversation by saying you know having a child changes everything right <laughs> and uh you know the old models for um how i used to do ministry uh they need they, don't, they need to adapt and to the church's credit they were the ones that pointed that out to me i remember um before sam was born sitting down with the personnel committee and the chair saying, you know, you realize you're going to have to keep um, less office hours now. Hmm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? He's like, oh, yeah. Wait, wait, wait till that little one is born. You're, <laughs> you're going to be needed at home more often. Yeah. And um, what, a, what a great gift um, for them. For them to recognize that uh, and to speak first about it. Exactly. That's very right. well said. Yeah, because there are there have been uh, perhaps generations past, maybe even your father's generation, that there was a lot of pressure for uh, the minister's kids to be a certain way or to behave a certain way, and you know that kind of old corporate model. You put your work toward the kingdom of God first. You know, that's exactly right. And that and a lot of people have suffered from that. I, I think it, and what we don't want to communicate is that is that our faith is confining and restrictive of who we are, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes back to that image of what are our expectations and and what what is projected, and not only upon pastors' kids but all children in right. the church. Right. So tell us about this book, Parables of Parenthood: um, Interpreting the Gospels with Family. How did it come to be? I had the image that a lot of the work that was being done on on parables for a wider audience, the people in the pews, if you will, was um, without necessarily meaning to be, but was quite paternalistic. Hmm. And it was almost this sense that uh, scholars and pastors felt like what they needed to do is boil down kind of the parable to one or two messages so that people could then take that and have it with their lives. And, you know, I was thinking about that. Um, and to me, it, it coincided very nicely with what I was reading about child development theory, mm-hmm. that um, it's not good to, in a sense, spoon feed your kids. It would, it would be much better to give them a piece of bread and a peanut butter, a very blunt knife, <laughs> and just let them go at it and have a mess. And because um, children, they don't have, they're not these little fragile egos that will just be crushed with even a semblance of failure and, and defeat. Um, it works much better if you, they have a sense of ownership and engagement so that they can create their confidence. And so what I wanted to do was, in a sense, model that. Um, I wanted to, to give people the kind of the tools of biblical scholarship uh, with the parables. Mm-hmm. And then um, 
illustrate uh, those lessons through what was going on in in my own life, particularly with with the experience of raising a son. Not as this is the only way to do it, but as this is one way. What would this maybe look like for you in your life to have the same kind of process? Yeah, you uh, put a great deal of work in uh, the exegesis of the parables. I mean, it was it was awesome. I even introduced the two source hypothesis, Q and Mark and Matthew, and right. and redaction criticism and form criticism, the whole business. And uh, so that was great. And I mean, the, those sections alone really could have served as an independent commentary of for a parable book. But you added this other element. I don't think I've quite seen a book quite like it. That's such a personal um, account. Puts a an interpretation on the parable that makes it far less abstract. Well, thank you for that. Um, I mean, I, one of the great gifts for me um, has been to to be able to take the time and energy to learn the school, the tools of biblical scholarship. Mm-hmm. And I want, I very much want to to share those with people. So, so some of the book, um, I would say, the majority of it is that kind of walking through the text, um, trying to show people how to how to listen attentively. Um, but then. You know, I, to, to me, it's it's the question of so what, mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. and the so what is um, that you can use this as a way to uh, influence your life, to find wisdom from these texts. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Taylor Troutman is my guest. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, he's the author of a new book called Parables of Parenthood, Interpreting the Gospels with Family. So have you had any feedback? How, how, how long has this book been out? Have you had uh, some response? The book has, has uh, only been out. It came out about a month ago. And um, it's, so far, it's, it's been very well received. Um, one of the interesting comments that kind of, I guess, uh, themes of the comments mm-hmm. is that not only have they been positive, but people have been uh, surprised. They kind of thought it would be one thing and um, realize that they were able to engage with it in different ways. Um, so I've had um, people who don't have young children, for example, mm-hmm. who are, have been very appreciative of those stories. Um, uh, and that would be my, my hope for it, that it, it wouldn't be so easily pigeonholed. Right. Uh, so that, that's been an interesting. And another um, good comment that I've had is um, people have been impressed, perhaps uh, maybe even a little amazed at how um, honest it's been. <laughs> One of the reviewers said that um, f- felt like I was naked on a page. <laughs> well, you know, both you and your wife wrote the afterword, and, uh-huh. and she used the word vulnerable. Vulnerability. Vulnerable as, mm-hmm. and it's not, you know, we, um, it's not a weakness, it's a strength. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is that sense of being well exposed or vulnerable here, mm-hmm. here I am I and mean, you do, you aren't afraid of talking about a little bit about your little a few snits that you might have had with <laughs> Ginny along the way yeah <laughs> yeah you know you say that that's out there well and i mean i would i mean i would push back a little bit on it i mean i don't i don't really think i, I mean i think there's a way that's inappropriate to sure. to be too vulnerable right but um to want to model for people that there really is strength in in being able to look at your weaknesses mm mm-hmm. Uh, to look at the mistakes you've made, um, and also a, a willingness. I, I think what vulnerability models is a willingness to be open to others, and that's one of the things that I've really learned um, from being a parent is that um, 
I, as much as I can, I try and be open to not only the needs, but the, the true desires of my son. And it takes a lot of uh, humility. It takes a lot of um, focus and paying attention. And um, rather than this kind of top-down, well, I'm your dad, so mm-hmm. you, you're going to do <laughs> what? Though there's a place for that, too. Uh, yeah. um, I guess, anyway, what I'm, what I'm stumbling towards is, is, is this idea that, again, it goes back to that idea of what are the projections that we have. And I think sometimes, um, particularly for pastors, the projection is we need to have it all put together. Mm-hmm. And the more that we can push against that, the more kind of real and genuine conversations we can have. Yeah, there's the whole symbol of, of the minister and all the stuff that's gone through that. And I, th- I think um, that within the last several generations, we've challenged that in a lot of good ways of we're human beings first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And parents and, and who have joys and who have had great struggles as well. And, um, and all of that's real. All and once them. you hide it, once you try to cover it over and be something else, I, it may be something, but I don't think it's ministry. Mm. Very well said. That, um, uh, and th- now this book, um, Parables of Parenthood, has uh, the foreword here, and it's been endorsed by Brian Blunt, who is the uh, uh, president at Union Theological Seminary. It's pretty impressive. Well, thank you, John. Now, are, are you? Uh, did, was he your professor? Uh, Brian came to serve as president the last year I was in seminary, and I was on. I was the student moderator or student mm-hmm. president, so I worked with him closely that year. But we've we've kept in touch. Um, he is a great mentor to me, and um, one of the things that that he did um, when he came to Union is he said, I was, "I'm going to spend the whole year, the whole first year, just listening." And I was so impressed by that, not only because he took the time to value other people's opinion, Mm -hmm. but then at the end of the year, he wrote everything up. He called it a catalyst for conversation. Mm. And then he, so he played back for people what he heard them saying. And um, that in in many ways is, is what I was trying to do in this book. I was trying to listen to the different voices that have interpreted these parables throughout so many years and then kind of play that back. Uh, illustrated through my own experience. And so he was extremely helpful to me um, in, in coming to that point. With... What, what did you learn about parables? Um, what, what, what is a parable? You, you use the word parable, you, you kind of parse it by saying it's a throwing alongside. Right. Yeah. Uh, so what does that mean and how should I read a parable? Uh, I think you should, should read a parable... Uh, Expecting to be surprised. Okay. <laughs> so that would be the opposite in some ways of that kind of paternalistic oh, here's, model. Here's the meaning. Uh-huh. Take, take this meaning, condense it, and then go and, and do likewise. There whatever. you go. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is really a – because in a sense, I, I, the parables and, the, and, the, and those that you chose, I wouldn't automatically say that they're about parenting. Hmm. But parenting, throwing alongside some of these parables – opens us up to the parable itself as well as to parenting. I mean, Jesus is never really talking about the actual object that he's discussing in a parable, I guess. He's talking mm-hmm. about something else, mm-hmm. but using, but throwing alongside a wedding banquet or a fig tree or a mustard seed to say something about whatever this else is. 
Although I don't even know exactly what the else is. Can you tell me what the else is? <laughs> I, I think at, at the heart of, of Jesus' teaching is this, this idea of what he called the kingdom of God mm-hmm. being among us. And, right. and what is that is a, a very profound and deep question. <laughs> but, but I think what Jesus models in teaching the parables is, is that the kingdom of God uh, is something to be discovered. Right. It's not about so much to be defined as it is to be uh, lived into with, with uh, great wonder. Um, I also think the, the other thing the parables model is, is that there's a challenge to um, some of the things that we accept as, as the norm, as the status quo, uh, are not in alignment with what he called the kingdom of God. Yeah. Were you surprised about what, what, what kind of things came to mind specifically along that as you're studying these parables that surprised you? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I think, you know, I, we all view, we all come to the text with our own, um, social context in mind. And, uh, you know, I am middle-class white American of a great deal of privilege mm-hmm. and, and influence. And I was amazed to find, uh, readings of and interpretations of the parables from, uh, communities outside this country that could take the same lesson, right, and come mm-hmm. to some very far different conclusions. Um, one of the ways that, that that really opened up to me was in Luke's version of the parable of the talents, which is actually the parable of the pounds. And, you know, we think, I was always taught that when Jesus talks about the king, he's using that as an as a image of God. Mm-hmm. But in Luke's parable, the king is actually a tyrant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a very human uh, figure who oppresses people. And that was immediately obvious to people who have been oppressed, who have been on that receiving end. Right. And that keeps us from reading the parable as a simple allegory. Absolutely. That, Absolutely. That, 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 that these parables are really sometimes the opposite of what you... They have, opposite in many ways in which they've been piously interpreted. Absolutely. That's a great point. And, and it, it served as a great caution to me, I mean, in this whole project. Like, so, you know, I'm reading these in some ways to relate to parenthood, which, mm-hmm. as, you, which as you say, is not really the point of it. So uh, where do we go from uh, you, reading the Bible to inform our own ways to actually doing violence to it, to reading our context into the text and, and making it say something it's not really trying to say? Mm-hmm. I saw on the news the other day that... Someone was talking about Jesus um, coming back with the AK-47 assault rifle. You drew first blood, I'll be back. <laughs> right? That's the image there. And so, I, I mean, that person would probably argue that they're trying to make the Bible yeah. relevant to today's context. But where is, where is the line where that actually is um, privileging our own perspective? And I, I think um, having a, a wider sense of, of the way that these parables have been used throughout history, but, but also throughout the world is, is really helpful. I think it was Margaret Mead who was interviewing with um, some mothers in Africa, and, and those, those women uh, asked her if it was true that mothers in America um, put their children in cages at night. Wow. Referring to a crib. Ah. <laughs> But we that is just second nature to us. Well, of course right. you put your child down in the crib. But for them, the context was the child slept with them in the bed. 
I think that Jesus told parables to, to invite that kind of thinking, to be open to um, different perspectives and what people bring. Um, it's so interesting to me that so many of the parables revolve around everyday items, right? Right. Commonplace things. Woman that, baking bread. Sure. Uh, a sower, scattering seed. Mm-hmm. Um, these are things that in his context were done every day. Um, but there is, there's a different way of, of looking at them. And um, they invite conversation. You know, Andrew, I was a little nervous about this interview. Um, since we last spoke, um, you gained a son, and I lost a son. And um, my son, Zach, suicided just two weeks after our interview aired last time. And we both know that, and the people who listen to my program know that. I, they find my personal blog. And, um, and, and, and I was nervous because I didn't want to cast grief over a joyous idea of parenthood. I mean, I kind of know the reason why in Jewish dietary restrictions, they don't mix milk and meat. Mm. <laughs> There's some, you know, and, and yet at the same time, as I read your book, um, it was good for me because I've had a hard time telling stories about Zach. Mm. Um, and I, I, I've lost his life, but I didn't want to lose all of his memory too. But your, your, your book um, because you're gracious about it, because it's it's not a triumphalist. I've got a kid. Uh, it's really a recognition of 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 the struggles of all of life. People who have children, people who don't, people who have lost them, people who have had a struggle having children. As you talk about mm-hmm. that, there's a, there's a graciousness there that is an openness for people to share their stories. I just want to thank you for that. That your style of writing um, opens that up and open that up for me, my friend. That that means so much to me to hear you say that. Um, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, you know, we all have different, different uh, tragedies in our life, you know? I mean, grief is so much a part of our experience. And um, I mean, I would, I would hope and, and pray that, that I could be sensitive um, to, to other people's experience, even having not lived through that my own. Um, I mean, one of the the big stories of of our experience is um, we struggled for a long time to have children, mm-hmm. and infertility is is very much a part of of our experience. And um, as I was writing the book, I was I very much wanted to not only lift that up, but but to not appear, as you say, triumphalist. Um, mm-hmm. Because we ended up having a child. There's certainly a, a number of people who don't get that experience. And um, uh, it's, it, is, it is both a, uh, an explicit goal um, to try and be open um, to other people and, and the grief where they are. But w- what I hear you saying is, is you recognize that it's, it's implicit in my writing too, that, that, yes. that I want to be, um, I want to create a sense of trust with my readers. Your vulnerability opens mm-hmm. that up to allow others to be and, and makes that a community and, uh, well, thank and, you, and an inclusive, which is really, as I understand, Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, that, that it's, it, it's a, a wide, wide embrace. Mm. 
of all of us and all our experience. Uh, we're, we're just out of time. Uh, Andrew Taylor Troutman, my guest on Religion for Life, the author of Parables of Parenthood, Interpreting the Gospels with Family. Um, I urge you to pick it up. It's a wonderful book and wonderful, Andrew, to have you with me today on Religion for Life. Thank you, John. It's been a great honor. We are the youth of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabeth in Tennessee. You have been listening to Religion for Life. Your host is John Shook. He's our minister. Our website is fpcelizabethan.org. Come visit us. You can find more information about this program and links to podcasts at religionforlife.com. Follow Religion for Life on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Listen to us on iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETSFM, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHCFM, Emory, Virginia. Be well!